Welcome to Between Two Chairs, Demystifying Commercial Real Estate, the podcast that brings you the latest insights and trends on the South Florida commercial real estate market with your hosts, Fernando Arencibia Jr. and Jennifer Wolman. In each episode, we dive into the world of commercial real estate and break down complex concepts to make them accessible for everyone. Whether you're a real estate professional, a curious investor, or just interested in the South Florida market in general, Between Two Chairs is the podcast for you. So pull up a chair and join us. Is that for... <laughs> so I am sitting between two ferns. You can't see I'm it. sitting between two <laughs> Since oh I heard Jess God. call you fern a while back, oh I, my uh, God. I've been like, oh my God, I've got to get a fern. I've got to get a fern. I never even, I never um, even thought about that. Yes. And <laughs> then awesome. when Bill Lyons made that comment, I'm like, or William. Yeah. Does he go by William or Bill? Bill. But that's why I thought. Yeah. Uh, when um, I saw Bill's comment, I was like, oh my gosh, I bet better hurry up and do this because if yeah. I don't do it, but I only found this little fern. So I've got a little fern and a big fern. <laughs> well, this whole name is an homage to Between Two Ferns. So I guess, uh, you know, now, now we're getting into, uh, you know, very, a very literal territory. <laughs> well, that's the last time you'll see this fern because I do not have a green thumb and they're hard to keep alive. So it will probably oh my God. die if I don't give it to oh Carlos to uh, Okay, good. Nurture. You let me know. We, we have Rachel out here. She also has a green thumb. Oh, so, uh, yeah, thank God. So, welcome back to Between Two Chairs and continuing with our month of gratitude for November. Um, I want to give a shout out and a huge thank you to Heidi Webb, the port director and CEO of Port Miami, and to Frederick Wong, who is the deputy port director for Port Miami. And so if you haven't guessed, this episode is going to be about Port Miami and the impact that Port Miami has not only on the economics of our area, but also on the commercial real estate in South Miami. Well, I should say the South Florida, right? Metro Miami um, is lucky enough to be blessed with three ports. There's one in Palm Beach, then there's Port Everglades and Port Miami. But uh, so huge economic impact for the whole region. But we're going to focus on Port Miami because Fernando and I were lucky enough to have a beautiful, amazing, eye-opening, fun behind-the-scenes tour of Port Miami. Yeah. And um, it, it was, was just uh, eye-opening. It was just an, an incredible experience just to see the inner workings of the port that is both one of the busiest cargo ports and, you know, as they call it, the cruise capital of the world. So the, it, it both has to handle uh, a huge amount of passengers per year and also, you know, the 10th busiest port in uh, in Florida and to be so, uh, you know, to have to handle so much cargo as well. And the dichotomy, the, the intricacies of dealing with both 
of those things which are very different and are treated very different. The reason why we want to do a show about the port is because, you know, when you're looking at um, commercial real estate, commercial real estate and the forces that affect it are both macroeconomic and microeconomic forces. And it's very important for you to understand that whether you're dealing with residential or commercial real estate, right, there are certain elements that are true to both. And one of those is location, right? And location being uh, a very important component of where you buy, sell, lease, you know, real estate. I remember a few years back, uh, we had the opportunity to uh, make a presentation. We, meaning the Miami Association of Realtors, had an opportunity to present on all the virtues of Miami. And we were trying to break down, how do you break down Miami in, in a, you know, five minute presentation so that it gives people a glimpse of why it is a great place to live work play and so I wanted if you don't mind just kind of tell people what were the uh, major themes of that presentation one of them was quality of life the other one was talent right and you know we're, we're talking about you know, obviously we have some very entertaining and talented people we're talking about the talent that built companies right we're talking about uh, you know this multicultural talent that exists in Miami that is very unique to uh, who we are we're talking about the entrepreneurial spirit of our people and things of that nature then the fact that we are a global business center and we talked about how outside of Manhattan it is the the second finance uh, capital of the United States then we get into infrastructure and that's when we talk about our ports we talk about transportation we talk about our airports and so this is the part that a lot of people uh, sometimes don't equate with when they're selling Miami but it is a, an important component and uh, as many things Miami you know we do that well also <laughs> which is great and I think it's interesting because I mean our port's beautiful too right I mean it's it's an island in the middle of our government cut so it's surrounded by blue water we drive by it all the time and some of the architecture on the side that we see the most which is the you know the which are the cruise ship terminals are gorgeous right. I mean the cruise ships have done a very nice job at, at putting beautiful buildings on right. the port. So it was interesting to get the behind the scenes look because, you know, you see on one side of the port, you see all of the cruise ship and the passenger terminals and the beautiful ships as that they line up and get ready to leave. And then in the background, you see the huge cranes, right, that are used for the cargo. So when we went behind the scenes, first of all, the port is 520 acres and it's divided into the two halves, right? So on the north side, you have the port, uh, the, sorry, the cruise ships. And on the south side, you have the cargo. And in between, there's a road that people drive on and it, it it all functioned so seamlessly. I mean, yeah. everything, I mean, granted, we weren't there on the day when passenger ships were loading, but right. it was incredible how organized, which obviously it has to be, the right. port was. But, um, you know, it contributes, it generates $43 billion and supports 334,500 jobs. So between, you know, the overall port. So I thought that 
something that's really that small, if you think about it. I mean, yeah. 540 acres to be generating that amount of yeah. income to the area was huge, that economic impact. The first thing is that it's a very beautiful port to drive into, Correct. right? Uh, because you're surrounded by water. I mean, you know, even, even, even on an ugly day, there's something about being surrounded by water. And I don't mean an ugly day, but I mean like an overcast, like it's, overcast like it's rainy, rain. you know, it's, it's still beautiful, but it's a beautiful, uh, you know, port to drive into. But I also found that the confines, one of the things that I, that really you get a kick out of it, if you ever do a tour of, uh, you know, of the port is when you look at the map and how the map has changed uh, over the years, there are limitations as to where you can grow. Right. But I find that that also, um, you know, forces you to be much more efficient. And it looks to me like, to your point about the organization of it, it looks to me like that efficiency is a, you know, a priority from top to bottom. When you do, when we did that tour and we started, we got on the van and we started driving around, you're, you know, it's like the tail of two ports, right? right. It, it's two different size to it and two very different experiences. And two completely different operations and what they have to look out for and what they have to pay attention to and everything else. So I also loved their customer service and their customer service wasn't for the port, right, for the passengers, right? The yeah. customer service was for their cargo ship operators and their cruise ship operators and yeah. how they consider them all partners and how they worked with all of them during the pandemic and what they did for the operators during the pandemic when, yeah. you know, when occupancy plummeted. So let's start with a little bit of the cruise statistics. Sure. Um, so prior to the pandemic, they were on track to exceed 7 million cruise passengers. Um, they generated, this was in 2019, 7 billion and 40,000 uh, jobs a year for all of the support services. So that includes air transportation, ground transportation, F&B, right. the overnight stays for cruise passengers, et cetera. And then the pandemic brought everything to a halt. And in 2021, there were only 252,000 passengers. So the port really did, they went through in great detail, you know, what they did, how they helped the cruise lines right. to be partners in this pandemic, right? right. Um, and that really helped them gain it back when the passengers came back, which um, last year, the cruise ship passengers climbed to a little over 4 million, and they're estimating that they're going to do 6.7 million this year, which right. is amazing, almost back on track. Yeah. And they might even surpass it because they had two days this year that they had the most passenger traffic in one day. Um, the last one was in April and they had almost, they had 67, over 67,000, almost 68,000 68, passengers, passengers go yeah. through, which I can't imagine having seen the long skinny line where yeah. the port is, right? Because it's, our port is very long. It's not a square or a rectangle. It's like this really long, skinny island. And uh, right. to think of 67,000 passengers going through on that side yeah. is is crazy. But to your I point, they were very, very efficient yeah. and super well organized. Yeah. 
And the fact that, you know, they got to deal with security. So think about, you know, making sure that everybody is safe, all 67,000 plus, everybody gets screened, everybody goes through their, right. you know, uh, immigration process, whatever it is that they need, all the paperwork. Whenever I go to these things, always, I always gravitate to, okay, how does a person work here? You know, how do, how do they, and how, how is this business carried out? You know, I'm always looking for lessons and you hit the number one important lesson that I, that I gathered from our conversations with them is the fact that they looked at these vendors or these contracts, uh, not necessarily as, as what that is, you know, on paper, but more into, these are our partners, right? right. And these are our partners for, for a very, very long time. And so we want to take good care of them. They had an opportunity to, uh, you know, charge some fees that other ports were charging and, you know, trying to kind of make up for the losses. And, you know, they decided, you know what, we're, we're not going to do that. We're not right. going to nickel and dime our partners, right? We're, they're going through a rough time. We're going through a rough time. We're going to figure this out together and we're going to be the better of it, you know, on the other end. And, and I think that there's something really important about this collaborative approach to when you're working with people is this idea that you know it's not you know it, it it changes the paradigm of every conversation that you have if your mindset is of a partnership right and you know we always say that relationships are what run commercial real estate right and with the port of miami it was the same thing right, right. they they focused on the relationships and what I found amazing is they brought in the county, you know, they brought in Miami-Dade County because obviously it is, you know, part of the county. And they told the county what was happening, why they didn't want to charge, why they wanted to give concessions, why they wanted to help. And the county agreed. So talk about, I mean, it wouldn't have worked for the port if the port had wanted to be partners and the county was pushing back. So yeah. the fact that that was so cohesive, I, it was such a proud Miami moment for me yeah. <laughs> that yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. was really working. And how, how interesting it was, because of course, you know, not everybody in the room was a commercial, you know, real estate broker. And so found it interesting that those of us that were in commercial, we gravitated to how these contracts are created, right. you know, right. and it was great to see that the person that is in charge of that was in commercial real estate right. because there's so much of it is very much tied in to the way that we negotiate leases with, of course, the wrinkles that are specific to the industry. I thought that that was that was awesome. I mean, I could have sat and, and spoken to them about I that. Know, forever. Forever. I, know. I know, really taking it apart. So in our previous episode, Robin Webb talked about the hotel industry in South Florida and and we're going to get into F&B in other episodes, so we're not going to talk about that now. So right. let's jump to cargo, which, yeah. you know, cargo, in spite of the pandemic, their numbers increased. By, by the way, before yeah. we get to cargo, yes. can we speak about, we got to see a little bit of, of the yes. behind the scene <laughs> as we were walking through the Virgin Cruise Lines. They're building. They're, yeah, they're yeah, right. They're, this yeah. is where all the passengers go. Right. You know, they have what? The, the Scarlet? Terminal. The, Scar the Terminal. Thank there you, you go. Thank you, Jessica. The Scarlet Princess or something like that? I don't know. I just remember everything was red. So everything we were right at home. We right commercial at home. red. Commercial red. Man, what a beautiful experience. Beautiful. What a beautiful, beautiful. experience. And, and even the way that they designed the canopy as you're walking out. And I thought I found that interesting, that whole conversation of why don't they have more amenities in the terminal? Right. But 
the cruise ship just wants you get they want to get people into the cruise ship. They want right. you to enjoy the amenities in the cruise ship. Right. They don't want you to stand around waiting right. in a in a in a terminal no matter so how gorgeous it is. Yeah, they're looking for efficiency. They want to get you in there, drop off your bags, get a drink, relax while we get everybody else in here right. and start your 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 shift of vacation. But anyway, I just wanted to say right. kudos yeah, no, no, that was, to Virgin that, was that the terminal there is beautiful. It's you know, it's it, it was very impressive. So in spite of the pandemic, Port Miami's cargo yeah. numbers increased 17.6% to 1.25 20-foot equivalent units known as right. a TEU, which is how cargo is measured, which is just basically the size of a 20-foot container, right? Right, correct. You had mentioned earlier about the port and the fact that it's on an island and their efficiencies, but one of the things that they're actually looking at is in order to continue and grow, they're looking at an inland port and an inland like off-dock logistics yard because right. what we saw during the offloading of the vessels was that, you know, obviously everything comes in pretty much on containers right. and containers themselves can create kind of a logistics nightmare because yeah. you have to you know you offload them to the ship you have to wait for the for the trucks to come and pick them up and take them wherever but then once they're offloaded oftentimes they come back to the port and they sit empty until they get shipped back either full of exports or whatever so yeah. whenever i think of logistics obviously you think of warehouses and and yeah. the industrial sector but in this case they're also looking for storage yards right yards yeah. to store the containers yards to store the the cargo while it's in transit before it gets shipped off to wherever it's going or before it goes back to the port right. and i thought it was interesting because it really coincided with what Sebastian Juncadella with Fairchild's Partners had mentioned at the Miami Commercial Conference, which was that in addition to the huge demand for industrial space, there was a huge demand, especially this year, for industrial outdoor storage space. And that investment groups have realized that with land achieving triple net figures because of the construction side and the demand for construction, that they could actually make pretty good money with yeah. with land and building out these storage facilities that right. don't necessarily involve warehouses. No, I, I think that that is uh, an interesting component. And so, you know, I think that a lot of industrial investors are always looking at these, these data points from the port, from the airport, to really uh, understand demand and where that demand is going to be. The other thing that happens is, you know, those containers are not going to make their way out of the port, you know, by themselves, you right. know, and we're, we're always looking at those, la the, that the last hundred feet and you know uh, you know when it comes to to deliveries and transportation and all those stuff but you know those trucks need a place to be right they got to move quickly they got to move through our, our major thoroughfares and so you know it's important to to recognize that more and more in the county there's less space for that to be stored right okay. and so and either it's because of zoning changes or upzoning of areas or the fact that people just don't want to deal with the potential and you know environmental issues on their land but the reality is that there is a need for that and we need to find uh, a solution to it so that's why i think that these outdoor spaces we're going to see more and more of those uh, you know come about 
Correct. And one of the things in the study that the port had put out that I found was interesting was that they had already highlighted certain areas, right? Mm -hmm. Because they knew they didn't want to be near a ton of residential. They knew that they wanted to be in an area that either the county or the state already owned the land. They wanted to be somewhere where the turnaround was going to be quick in terms of truck traffic. So being close to all the major highways and preferably they wanted to be close to rail. Obviously a very logical way to approach it, but that severely limits where in the county, you know, it pretty much keeps them contained to the airport. Port West, the Medley, the Hialeah Gardens, um, and and it gets harder and harder because those areas, I mean, Doral and Hialeah Gardens are going extremely residential, right? Right. So that becomes a challenge as well for the logistics, not not just for the owners, but for something as massive as a port. I thought that was really interesting. Absolutely. And I, and I think that these are the kinds of numbers that you kind of want to keep track of just to see where is it trending. It does it continue to trend up. You know, is that, is that demand going to always be here? We as a market compared to, let's say, places like Chicago, we don't have a lot of industrial inventory. That's why you see a lot of industrial development happening here, you know. And I think that to your point about these outdoor spaces, that there's a way to monetize them without having to build up, you know, right away, you know, especially with the cost of construction and all the other considerations. So you can monetize it, but it, you can also be a part of this important aspect of of our of the inner workings of our local economy by providing for efficiencies in the way that the logistics are done from top to bottom where they're stored where things are moving from side to side how how they can be more you know beneficial throughout throughout the city you know i i I find that in in our city a lot of the zoning and a lot of the you know just market forces have moved us away from storing these trucks that are moving these these containers all throughout the city and also you know mechanic shops you know i just think like they're they're kind of on their attack you know like nobody wants them but everybody needs them right and so you know it's an important part of the conversation and so i i i really enjoy that when we get to do things like this that you get a little bit of a behind the scenes of of one thing is affecting the other one of the things that you mentioned, which I think it's an important thing for us to discuss, is this is a port that creates over 354,000 jobs. And we asked the question about what is it that they're seeing as a, you know, because a lot of people are talking about employment retention, right? Because we, we've gone through this period of this quiet quitting and, uh, you know, people uh, going to the gig economy mm-hmm. and all these changes and the dynamics of that. And so I always like to ask that question because I'm curious, you know, how do, well do they do for, for employment retention and all that stuff? And, of course, the biggest issue they find is an issue of lack of affordable housing. And that right. was the, right. one Which- of the main points of discussion there. I think the great thing about this, these kind of tours and what I think is really important is that as commercial brokers, we get really focused on our market. We get focused on our asset class. And so sometimes we get so focused on the details that we don't see the bigger picture. So I loved this tour because it gave us, it made us take a step back and look at everything holistically. So if the port is such a huge economic driver and it's on limited space, how does it continue to be successful? How does it continue 
to grow its capacity? How does it continue yeah. beyond efficiencies, which they're always looking at? How does that continue if at the same time, Miami-Dade is becoming more and more expensive and more and more luxury residential? So in addition to the workers, I think of the entire crew that are on these ships, right? Whether they're on the cruise ships or on the cargo ships. Yeah. I remember years ago, there was a really good little restaurant in downtown Miami, and I'm blanking on the name right now. But I remember it was a tiny little hole in the wall. And one day I was there and there were a ton of people in there and I couldn't figure out what it was. And it turns out that it was cooking and right. home cooking for a lot of these crew members. And so it was packed. You know, and as we become more expensive and more luxurious, not only in terms of housing, but how do we support the needs of that crew when they get offshore and they don't have transportation and they can't be commuting really, you know, long distances because they don't have a ton of leave yeah. time. And so even though I love the fact that we're becoming, a, you know, a much more, you know, 24 hour city and luxury city and everything else because of all of the great yeah. economic benefits and fun activities that come from that. I think we always need to remember the people who helped build it and yeah. the economic engines that helped build it and make sure that those economic engines are still supported and still have a place in there. And that right. includes affordable housing, affordable spaces for restaurants that service the crew and whatever else they might need. I think that, you know, the, the reality is that, you know, as a business enterprise or as any kind of enterprise, I think that if you're, especially if you're relocating a company to a location, I mean, you know, that those, those things are not only going to be part of the conversation. I think more and more um, endeavors such as this, whether it's private or public, they're going to have to say, is there a solution that we can create for our own employees? You know, right. forget about the macro forces and whether we're going to have affordability. Right. What can we do to actually generate something that is affordable for our employees that can actually, you know, make a difference? I've told the story before about, you know, selling this 18-unit multifamily, you know, building mm -hmm. to a hotelier because, you know, he was looking for housing for his employees. He was, you know, he was starting tired of losing uh, great employees just because they didn't have an affordable place to be. And he says, you know, and I could, I could, I could, I could rent it at market rents as long as they are aware that we're not going to increase rents. At, and I think that that was part of the conversation. Is there a right. place in the port where you could build housing for the people that you employ? Is there a place close to the port that where that can happen as well? Because, you know, the further you go out, it creates right. other, you know, unintended consequences, right? right? But the port is a huge economic engine of South Florida right you know and everyone who works in downtown or works in the port any anybody who works surrounding it feels the economic effect and that impact immediately you know I remember working at a clothing store uh, back in the 90s it was called Oak Tree Menswear they're no longer around don't look don't look them up <laughs> they were actually in in one of the Nathan Rocks uh, buildings in in Flagler right uh -huh. on Flagler <laughs> you know in downtown Miami uh, I'm sure Moshe has some stuff around there now <laughs> but I remember Thursday sometimes were kind of slow and then there were weeks where they were super busy and all we had was basically you know port uh, all the people that worked in the cruise ships right. that were buying clothes or you know they're, they're 
they were shopping around. They had three, four hours, and they would go to downtown Miami. And, you know, it was always a great experience to have conversations with them because, you know, I remember this one gentleman. He was uh, originally from Santo Domingo in Dominican Republic. Uh, basically, he considered himself a nomad. He goes like, look, I do this job. I'm here for like eight months. I don't spend any money. I send everything back home. You know, I come and buy clothes, but I buy for my nephews and my nieces and I buy for my family and everybody else. And But he just says, you know, I've seen parts of the world and, you know, I get to provide and, you know, but it's a very different experience. But ultimately, those people invest a lot of money locally in our right. local shops. And because, the, you know, he wanted to come and buy something local, you know, right. and have that experience. And then you put in the tourists who are coming and that have a layover either before or after. And one of the things that that just popped to mind, because you just talked about the effect of retail and we know, you know, like Bayside is all catered to the tourists really, you know, that yeah. come in and just have a really short layover before they hop on the on the ship. But one of the things that um, they mentioned during the tour was the Frederick said that they've noticed that during the pandemic and actually since the pandemic, because of all of the issues with airlines, that people are driving from like yeah. really, really far away. So that, that makes me think, okay, so we also need similar to the airport has the long term offsite parking. You yeah. know, there there might also need to be something for parking for yeah. passengers because I've had two people recently that I know take cruise ships and even mm. though their flights were planned three days ahead, yeah. one of them missed her cruise to Alaska because <laughs> of flight delays and wow. no matter what she tried, she just couldn't get there. And there they wouldn't let her board the ship after it left the port because of, right. I can't remember, I was going right, because wow. of all the legal stuff. And then the other one made it to Europe to catch the flight, I mean, to catch her cruise super far super late like she yeah. almost missed her cruise as well so i thought that that was interesting because that opens up a whole nother real estate potential market right like yeah. people who want to drive where do they leave their cars right so anyway lots of lots of real estate um related to yeah. Traffic. I also will say, you know, for, for those of you who are in commercial real estate or, you know, or getting into just getting into commercial real estate, if you have an opportunity to speak to anyone who is in the transportation industry, anyone that has to process cargo, that has to do with bonded or, or, or not bonded warehousing, uh, that has to process the documentation that, you know, when when containers get stuck because they, they're not processed right. right or whatever it is, there there is a lot of intricacies to it. And there, there are often solutions that are needed, you know, to address those things. I, I think it's an important component of if you're going to work in the industrial sector to really understand how those things, uh, you know, how, how things move. Plus, you know, you, you get an insight as to, you know, how things actually make it to your table and your home, you know, throughout the world. So, you know, it's always incredibly interesting. Right. And most of the um, just because transportation is so huge in in Miami-Dade, well, in South Florida and overall, but um, most of the commercial conferences in the area usually have a panel. The Miami Commercial Conference had one with uh, the Miami-Dade 
aviation department director mm -hmm. and Derek Cook and Brightline Holdings, Michael, I think his name is Lefebvre. So those are always great overviews too when you get a little bit, you know, you're not just transportation focused, but you right. get a really good overview of how it's all interconnected and the importance of thinking about that wherever you locate your commercial real estate. I will say also that just like the just like the airport, that the port is you know if you go to their website they have a lot of great data, they update that uh, you know kind of regularly and you know you get to have a lot of insights into these stats um, by going to some of these uh, some of their sites. To go back to the map that we saw, this is a place that is going to look very differently 10, 15, yeah. 20 years from now. I think that that's what happened. Somebody told me one time there's there are certain places in every in every city and every in every place that are always growing and that is hospitals uh, universities ports and uh, and airports you know uh, so I, I think that that is very true and so there's always going to be growth there's always going to be development and that's part for the course so partner are we uh, are you ready for the stat of the day or did you have other uh, insights into the port that you wanted to share we're good you want to start well look I wanted to just share this because I thought this was very impactful you mentioned Sebastian Juncadella and at the Miami Commercial Conference he mentioned this stat which I thought was really interesting because he was asking people for questions and everybody was giving them the wrong answer. And that is that aside from the Port of Miami, we also have another port north of us, um, you know, which is known as Port Everglades in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, he asked this question, what percentage of the cargo that goes into Port Everglades, which is, you know, north of Miami, actually makes it to Miami? And uh, to the surprise of it all, 69% of all inbound cargo is distributed and consumed in Miami-Dade County and it lands in Broward County <laughs> wow. at Port Everglades. Oh, yeah. So I, I thought that that was that. a really, that interesting, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So again, imagine that, you know, you would think, well, 70 per almost 70 percent right right w would it be cheaper if it if it landed in miami you know right but you know the transportation side but that i found that super interesting how how that you know when i think of cargo ports i usually think oh they're unloading stuff and putting it on trucks and then the majority of it some stays local and then the majority right. goes off but here same here I, it's not the case most of it stays here which is, fascinating. which is fascinating for sure so I was so proud. I am so proud of, of Port Miami. And then I thought, oh, well, let me see what the biggest port is with acreage oh. and everything. And so Port of Los Angeles is the single biggest port in the U.S. Last year, it moved more than 9.3 million wow. TEUs. Oh and um, it stretches 43 miles along the coast, and it takes up 8,000 acres of land. <laughs> so that's like eight times what Port of Miami does. Uh, that's an, that's unbelievable. That's an number. And uh, but but it makes sense, right? Because right. it, it would mostly would be Asia, right? Because one of the things about Port Miami that we didn't discuss is that it is the closest U.S. East Coast uh, deep water container port to to Panama Canal. Right. So it can it can it can take these super containers uh, ships. So. But you would think that that makes sense, right? Because they're getting a lot of, of the, a lot of that cargo is coming from Asia. 
Correct. And we're seeing a move. Casey Conway always points out that there's a there's a shift because right. of the when they expanded the Panama Canal right. and the deep water dredge along the East Coast ports. Now, so before, I can't remember what year it was, but but I want to say in the early 1990s, the majority of the cargo to the U.S. actually came to the East Coast. Right. And then it shifted to the West Coast. And now there seems to be a move coming back. Mm -hmm. And that is some of the stuff that Port Miami already got ready for the Panamax ships. But now right. they're getting ready to get even bigger containers coming over so yeah, um, i think casey conway was mentioning this triangle uh shift in you know in in the in in really the hub of of transportation i think he was talking about the port of houston correct and then somewhere in the northeast and then and then south and then florida south so florida, right. it was that yeah that's you know it's infinitely interesting to uh, uh, you know um, commercial uh, real estate nerds like us. <laughs> so I hope you all have found that interesting. Thank you again for joining us on another episode of uh, Between Two Chairs. We really, really appreciate you uh, listening and giving us your feedback. Um, and um, I'm Fernando Rencivia, and as always, I'm here with the amazing Jennifer Woman. Jennifer, say goodbye. Goodbye. Say goodbye to my fern. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye.